Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room. Seraph, tell us all about it, please. Yeah, we do have a great chat room. Actually, I was checking some of the logs earlier today, and a great number of you are making the effort to go out there, you know, during the re-airing or after the show to go check through the chat room so you all know what a good place it is. Um, as I said, oftentimes the guest will pop in there and, you know, they'll answer questions or provide more information about whatever it is they're talking about on the air or extra resources and earls too so it's definitely something that's worth checking out so come on by that is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat it's also a great place to put your questions forward if you're too shy about calling in so come in and say hi all right in the spotlight this week we turn our attention to our food supply this past week had some really interesting headlines regarding our food In one headline we read, Are Cornflakes Republican? The article goes on to inform us of a new software program that will scan food into the, in the marketplace and inform you of how the company votes with its dollars. Quoting the HuffPost article, The app uses data from the Center for Responsive Politics, the Institute for State Money and Politics, and Sunlight Foundation tracking donations by corporate boards, employees, and political action committees. So the idea is simple. If you're a Democrat, don't buy cornflakes. Vote with your dollars as well. Good idea? Who knows? In another headline on 24-7 Wall Street, we learn that only 10 companies control our food. Indeed, these 10 control the world's food. Quoting the article... In an interview with 24-7 Wall Street, Chris Jocknick, Director of Private Sector uh, Department at Oxum America, discussed the impact that these 10 companies have on the world. If you look at the massive global food system, it's hard to get your head around. Just a handful of companies can dictate food choices, supplier terms, and consumer variety. These ten guys, close quote, these ten companies are among the largest in the world by a number of measures. All of them had revenues in the tens of billions of dollars in 2013. Five of these companies had at least 50 billion in assets, while four had more than six billion in profits last year. Additionally, these ten companies directed, directly employed more than 1.5 million people combined and contracted with far more. Another noteworthy item when thinking of these 10 companies is this. They don't tell. Let me state that again. I got a tongue wrapping around on me. They don't all only produce food. 
So ten giants essentially choose food ingredients, sources, and choices, as well as environmental and advertising policies. Now, how does that make you feel? Add to this the growing concern over GMO production and the entire matter of labeling GMO products, something the food companies have strongly resisted, and it's no wonder most of us are turning to our local farmer's market wherever possible. Among these giants are well-known companies like Nestle, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, General Mills, and Kellogg Company. If you're a regular to my rants, then you will remember that it wasn't long ago that we discussed who is behind some truly strange ideas and decisions regarding our food. For example, at that time, Pepsi, Nestle, and others were using aborted human fetal cells for flavoring. Other crazy food additives included such things as beaver anal sacs, carbon monoxide, shellac, titanium dioxide, and ammonia. This is anything but an all-inclusive list. In fact, I encourage you all to Google crazy food additives, and you'll find hundreds of articles concerned covering some truly frightening legal additives. And, and I'm going to emphasize that word, legal. So what does this mean for you and me? Perhaps we need a software program that allows us to immediately identify the crazy additives in GMOs. Perhaps the employees and contracted workers of these 10 giants should become activists when it comes to the behavior of their employees. Perhaps we need to pay closer attention to who is appointed to those governmental positions that make decisions about our food. Perhaps we should all find ways to become more involved and to grow as much of our own food as possible and to use local farms and ranches. And a word of caution there. Check off with those local farmers and ranchers. What are they using to grow their crops and or feed their livestock? We can still apply pressure to produce the food we want to consume, but I'm not so sure of how long we're going to be able to do that. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? Oh, food's a huge issue, you know, and I have to be the most regular person who tunes into your rants, and I probably feed a whole bunch of your rants too, because there isn't anything more precious than our food, and it is just corrupted all over the place. You know, it is really hard to eat what I would call food, because the bulk of what you find at the grocery store is synthetic, plastic, additives, beaver anal sacs, you name it. Blueberries aren't blueberries. I think we all just have to do the best we can, speed up whenever whenever we can, share the information with um, with everyone around us. You know, you'd be surprised how many people don't even want to know this information. You know, they enjoy their Big Mac. So if you start to tell them, well, are you aware? Have you heard of pink slime? And uh uh-uh, don't say that. You know, it tastes too good. I don't want to hear something bad. And that's one kind of mentality that I don't understand. All I can do, as I said, is to do my best. And I speak up constantly and I feed your rants. And I have plenty of rants of my own. But food is really important. And eating well 
is good for the mind, body, and soul. And we will be discussing more about diet during our show. So, all right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show featured Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and we discussed her latest book, Dream Messages from the Afterlife. Evelyn wrote, great show. Judy wrote, good show, two of my favorite topics. CB commented, what if REM is a place that our conscious is existing in the realm beyond physical, non-physical existence being plugged in during ordinary dreams? Science is giving less weight to dreams than what is really happening. Interesting comment, CB. John wrote, I love your show and your Intertalk CDs. You should publish your Spotlight features somewhere so we can go back and study them, print them, and even share them. Have you considered that? Well, that's a great idea, John. And to that end, beginning this week, I will do just exactly that on my blog at eldentaylor.com. Thanks for the suggestion. Jeff wrote, I love the great work that you do and have many of your CDs. I always tune in when I know you are on Coast to Coast, and I listen to your show as much as I can. Best wishes to you and your family. Well, thank you, Jeff, and right back at you and yours. Maria wrote, love your product. See you in Pasadena at the I Can Do It 2014. Plan on it, Maria, and for all of you out there, check out the discounts now available for this special event from Hay House and plan to join us. Rav will be there with me in Pasadena on October 25th. And A.T. wrote, Dear Dr. Taylor, after reading your work mind programming, I had to contact you. I wanted to tell you of a behavior modification program that I was sent to as a teen that has since been shut down due to abuse, etc. I'm absolutely stricken with how many of the tactics you described in your book were used in this facility on juvenile minds. I was especially taken with a section describing escalating school violence and how what we subjected to how what we are subjected to as youth forms us later and can have damaging effects. Since being released from these camps, many of the students have ended up on the street, in jail, and gone literally insane. When I read the definition of brainwashing in Chapter 5, it was clear we were brainwashed. Thank you for raising the level of understanding about this insidious sort of thing. Well, you're more than welcome, A.T., and for all of you, if you've not yet read Mind Programming, do yourself a favor and read it soon. You can get it at your library. The level of mental manipulation, propaganda, and other such nonsense that goes on today is at an all-time high. And not coincidentally, this comes when clarity on issues and decisions affecting not just our personal lives, but the direction of this country matter most. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, eldontaylor.com, that's E-L-D-O-N, or by joining me on Facebook. Now to this week's show, Your Vibrant Heart. Most of you know that I underwent triple bypass surgery some years ago. One day I was out mending fence in the horse pastures when I noticed a sort of burning in my chest. It was like a quick pinprick on the left side but it disappeared if I went on working. So I did. I worked through it. I mentioned it to my wife, maybe the second or third time I experienced the sensation, and then one Saturday morning while I was outside working, she came out with tears in her eyes. It seems she had pulled down a cereal box from her cupboards, and on the back of it was a description of my symptoms, suggesting this was an urgent warning of a heart condition. 
Well, I reassured her that I was fine, and I agreed to have it all checked out on Monday. Come Monday, I learned of something the cardiologists call the Widowmaker. Two of my three main arteries were completely blocked, and the third was 99% blocked. Apparently, the term is used because if the arteries become abruptly and completely occluded, it will cause a massive heart attack that will likely lead to a sudden death. Well, the rest, as they say, is history. I was lucky, to say the least. Gratitude means something somewhat different to me today than it did before this event. I was also fortunate to have good health care professionals and the one or two mechanics that I ran into I got rid of in a hurry. Fortunately, I was well informed about just how critical the attitude of your health care professional is to your overall well-being. That said, when I attended the rehab course following surgery, I was appalled at the fear-mongering and mechanistic perspective the trainers used to guide the rehabilitation efforts. And perhaps I spoke up one too many times, for they found a reason to dismiss me early. Since the surgery, I've learned much about heart health and the restoration of complete health, as well as the steps to take to improve cardiovascular endurance. I thought I was in good condition prior to the surgery, but I've since learned what good condition is. Today, I run three times a week and use the treadmill and or bike on three more days. I try to get weight training in at least twice a week. Just this morning, my wife had me out of bed before 6, and down the highway, we went running. And I tried to balance my life patterns between being informed and having a loving, accepting attitude. Now, for me, that's the toughest one. So, how do we maintain good health and avoid the experience of surgery? Not just cardio health, but overall health. Are there simple things that we can do? How important is our diet and exercise routine really? What about genetic predispositions? Are we doomed to deal with defective genes no matter what? Is it necessary to detox our systems like flushing an old automobile radiator from time to time? How do we harness heightened energy? And as we age, how do we adjust for the tolls of aging? Or do we even need to? I mean, are there any keys to avoiding muscle and bone loss, cognitive decline, and the like? Enter today's guest. Dr. Cynthia Thike is a Harvard-trained heart doctor that practices with her heart, delivering security and peace of mind to her patients by orchestrating behavioral and mindset shifts to evoke lasting information, transformational changes in their health well-being, vitality, energy, and creativity. She has helped thousands of people not only address their heart issues, but more importantly, shift their paradigm to help them transform their lives through the ways they think, feel, and act. Dr. Thike began her professional training at the University of Chicago Prisker School of Medicine. From there, she completed her internal medicine and cardiology training at Harvard's training programs, Beth Israel, Massachusetts General, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. She manages two successful cardiology clinics and is the founder of Revitalize You, a wellness center focused on health, nutrition, weight loss, and detoxification. Dr. Cynthia has served as the co-director of the Women's Cardiac Risk Screening Program at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center and was formerly the assistant clinical professor 
of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles School of Medicine. Among her recognitions are the National Institute of Health's National Research Service Award, the American College of Cardiology's Cardiovascular Research Award, and the Raymond Collel Memorial Cardiovascular Research Award. A practicing Buddhist, Dr. Thika is now on a mission to deliver her message about healing through her new book, Your Vibrant Heart, Restoring Health, Strength, and Spirit from the Body's Core. Beyond her academic achievements, she is most proud of the praise that she receives from her patients. Care, compassion, service, and excellence are words used to describe her style of practice. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Cynthia Thike. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. My pleasure it's, to be with you. Well, it's indeed our pleasure to have you join us. And please, everybody around here just calls me Eldon, if they call me at all, okay? <laughs> all right, Eldon. Thank you. <laughs> let's be, be, begin by having you tell our audience about your background, Dr. Cynthia, and what led you into medicine. Well, I can tell you that um, I I knew I wanted to be in the service of medicine at a very early age. My mom is a physician or was a physician, and, and I remember even as a very young child, around five or six years of age, accompanying her um, in our home country of Burma, now called Myanmar. And I just remember vividly just rows of patients, you know, just lining the streets waiting to come and see her. You know, no appointments, you just show up. And obviously in a country such as um, Burma, didn't have all the technology, all the pharmaceuticals. And all she really had was my recollection, you know, this gentle smile, this loving touch, and her, her words. And I knew back then that that's what I wanted to do. You know, you just fast forward 20 years and all the, you know, technology and and the the westernization that, that came about, and, and so I, I really, for the first, I don't know, 20 years of my career, practiced a very western-based medicine, which um, I came to learn um, only did so much for the patients. Um, it's just sort of like what you said with um, your experience with cardiology, that you, you, you realize that the attitude of the physician, how they came to approach your health care made a huge difference, and you got rid of those that, that weren't um, um, aligned with uh, your way of, of being. Well, uh, I came to discover in a rather hard way for myself after um, uh, dealing with really the stress of the, the profession, the stress of motherhood, having three children, the stress of uh, having a, building a home and having lawsuits and so forth that um, I got myself into a state of really both emotional and physical and mental stress. And, and it wasn't until I became personally sick myself that I sort of woke up and started on the journey of personal healing. And and in that self-discovery uh, really came to a realization that... Um, Health is so much about our, our our mind and how we hold ourselves and and how gentle we are to ourselves and and it, it got me back to really why I started being in medicine in the first place of, of of remembering my my mom and how she treated her patients and 
it's been a wonderful, beautiful journey in the last five years that has led to my book and, and really has transformed how I approach medicine, how I interact with my patients. And, and it is truly that loving, gentle kindness, um, along with the medical knowledge, that makes all the difference. And, and I would say to patients, the true power of health and healing resides in them. All I have to do is open their eyes to that possibility. You know, I, I, I'm fortunate. I have had the, the pleasure, the honor to interact with uh, physicians that have, are, are taking the position that you are taking. But your perspective, um, where it's catching on, is still very much in the minority. And if you're like others that I've spoken to, um, you've met with some resistance from your colleagues. Can, can you tell us about that? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when I started initially on this journey, I, I went by ways of the nutrition, and I started incorporating nutrition and wellness and, and dietary programs into my practice. And, and I remember back then um, getting pushback, not just from patients, which I didn't understand because a lot of times patients want to come and see the physician, and, and they just want the quick fix, the pill. They want to believe that there's something physically wrong with them rather than accepting the notion that they have personal responsibility uh, in uh, the disease phase or the condition that they're currently in. And so I expected that from patients. But I got pushback from physicians as well who said, hey, you know, we're referring patients to you to deal with cardiology. What are you, you know, what are you doing talking to them about diet and nutrition? And that really, that type of backward thinking really blew my mind apart um, to, to think that we're still... Um, segregating ourselves into this very narrow spectrum of, of thinking that, um, you know, diagnostic testing or drugs is the answer and not really, you know, taking the time and the effort to educate our patients on, on really what the, their true potentials are. And, you know, and like you said, the medical students, are, uh, medical schools are coming around. Certainly education is getting much better in terms of, not only um, expanding the students, medical students' knowledge of, 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 of new, you know, medicine, but of nutrition and fitness, uh, talking about issues such as the GMO that you talked about earlier and our food supplies and so forth, but also getting into more of this mindset and the, the, the human side of medicine, the coaching aspect of medicine, which I think will, will lead hopefully to more um, compassionate, caring, humane physicians in the future. I hope you're right. I, I see the specialization that exists in all fields today. Uh, and, and of course, you know, as soon as you start talking about nutrition, perhaps you're stepping on a nutritionist's toes. And as soon as you start talking about exercise, well, there are therapists that deal with that. And so, you know, I, I think sometimes we have... We have so over-specialized that it, it's basically robbed uh, our healthcare professionals of the ability to do what they want. I mean, for years and years, we have, as a public in the Western world, been educated to believe the body is like a machine, right up to, you know, the list of replacement parts that might be called into action should the situation require. I think most credit Descartes for this mechanistic view. But we're learning just how shallow that analogy is. 
We have a hard break coming up. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, Dr. Cynthia, to tell us why this uh, mechanistic uh, view of everything fails, according to your insights, and provide perhaps an example or two, if you could, of a patient you've been able to help uh, by, you know, having them integrate self-responsibility as opposed to expecting that you can give them a shot or give them a pill, like changing the oil in the automobile, and they just drive away all fixed and taken care of. We're speaking with Dr. Cynthia Thike about her encouraging book, Your Vibrant Heart. You're going to want to read this book, whether you think you have a heart condition or, or you know, if you're like me and you just didn't give it any thought at all until one day it slapped you in the head, don't be so foolish. Pay some close attention. You can learn more about her and her work by visiting drcynthia.com. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. We'll be right back after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using inner talk. Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs, prosperity, money management, and luck. I listened to the prosperity and money management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Lux CD I listen to every day at home, also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, inner talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, Inner Talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or bbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. 
Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Cynthia Thike about her wonderful new book, Your Vibrant Heart. We ask our guests for up to three songs, songs that have some special meaning to them. So now we just played one of my favorites, I Can See Clearly Now by Jimmy Cliff. Why is this song special to you, Dr. Cynthia, and how does it tell us about who you are? Well, you know, this song always lifts me up. Um, uh, it reminds me that, you know, we all we all have rough spots in our in our lives, right? Days where it's cloudy and rainy. But you always need to bear in mind that just around the corner is this, you know, clear, brilliant sky, the sh- sunshiny days. And, and you know, the, and whenever I hear that song, it just lifts me my mood and 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 lets me know that um, there, there's clarity. There's you know, just just love and vision and happiness in my life, and and I just need to wait for that to happen, you know, and and trust that it it, it always comes, you know, it always comes following the rain. Yeah, so remind me of where I want to be. That's how I see it. Yeah. Okay, before the break, you know, I'd I'd asked you basically to flesh out for us why the mechanistic view that's been that of traditional medicine and, and persists to this day um, is so inadequate. You know, when you were talking earlier about the specialization, it reminded me of when I was young and even when I was here in the United States, going to our family physician and having that 
uh, physician being your one physician that uh, could could handle you know all aspects of your health, but not only handle all aspects of your health, but really be interested in you as a person, and and you know ask about your school and ask about your life and your you know your friends and so forth. And we've we've lost so much of 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 that aspect of 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 medicine and really the care that comes with medicine. And so when you talk about you know the the specialization, the segregation. You 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 know you you walk into a physician office, and before you even have a chance to you know say two or three sentences, they're sending you to the dermatologist or the neurologist or the cardiologist, and and not stepping back to take a look at what is it about your life, what is it about your you as a person, what else is going on in your in your environment, in your work environment, your relationship. That is impacting your health, and so we've lost that sort of the 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 skyscraper, the the overall arching view that we need to to have to see a person as a whole person and realize that health is only one aspect of that person being. And so instead, we 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 narrow, you know, we zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, and we say chest pain, you know, coronary disease, and or we, you know, we look at the diabetes, and we, we look only at those aspects, and, and rather than, um, uh, you know, treating and, and coaching patients as a whole person. And, and so for me, I find also that um, because patients are not, are, have gotten so used to this approach and forgotten what it's like to have that family physician that cares for them as an individual, as a whole person, they are more inclined to come to a physician now and looking just for that um, that quick fix, that that, um, that drug, or or to to clearly define what's wrong with them, and they want to sort of take that aspect of uh, something physically wrong with them and, and, and run with it as if that's you know that that the conditions exist outside of them. And so, as an example, coronary artery disease, which is obviously the thing that I deal with most, yes. There are absolute times when coronary disease occur. I mean, you had bypass surgery, so there's blockages, there's atherosclerosis. But how how that came about, and how you choose to view that disease, that entity, um, can make a, a, a tremendous difference in the the long term outcome. And so, you know, um, you, you talked in your in the break about that inner talk and having perspective and having different perspective. And so I've had plenty of patients that I've seen over the years who, and I wrote about, in fact, contrast um, to two gentlemen in my book who had coronary artery disease, and, and the one um, really woke up from that, woke up from his, his um, intervention and, and, and realized that there was more to life and that he sort of, in response, or took ownership and responsibility for the fact that he wasn't caring for himself, that he let his his weight and his diet and lack of exercise get away to the fact, to the point where he did have blockages that require intervention. That he and he was, you know, high executive that was, you know, completely stressed, and he turned that around and started, um, you know, taking time off with his children and you know, started coaching with his children. Um, improving his nutrition and fitness and exercise and, and really um, owned his part, his role in the fact that coronary artery disease, which is a very mechanistic, you know, concrete blockage, okay, uh, came about. And, and he did 
fabulously. And in contrast, I had this other gentleman who um, went into this, you know, his 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 diagnosis with with anger and hostility, and and then felt like the world had given that to him, and and really took no responsibility for his part in it, and had a very negative viewpoint as to what was happening to him. And so, of course, his white blood pressure continued to spike, and, you know, he did nothing to change his diet and, and, and so forth, and, and the stress continued to be such a major player in his his coronary artery disease. And so we struggled with him for many years subsequent to his bypass surgery. And so here's, you know, two examples of people who had the exact physical me- mechanistic, you know, um, um, disease, but had two completely different outlooks on it and approaches and perception, and as a result, two completely different outcomes yeah. going forward. Let's let's treat that for just a minute, because I think, you know, you, you, implicit in what you're saying is kind of a dichotomy that healthcare professionals have to deal with across the board. On the one hand, you know, patients need to understand that, no, don't let me put any words in your mouth, okay? Mm-hmm. But patients need to understand that, you know, they're responsible for their own health and they are not victims per se. I mean, you're a victim of yourself, maybe, but, you know, it isn't like lightning strikes you. That's not what we're talking about. You know, we live a lifestyle that leads us typically into most of the conditions that we will experience. in our lifetimes, and, and, and or we have a genetic predisposition, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But then there is also this this concern that where you want the patient to recognize that they are responsible, you also you know don't want to make a victim out of them in that process, and so you know you don't want to blame them for for causing the disease, and at the same time, you, you do need to get them to take responsibility. How do you go about, you know, walking that tightrope? Absolutely. You know, and, and I'll answer your question on two different levels. Um, on, on the, from the level of the perspective of the mindset, um, I always tell patients, there's no point in, in having regrets about the past. Um, you know, there's just, you know, everything that has happened up to now, whether it's your bad, you know, habits, how you've cha- you know, lived your life, that brought you to this point and made you the person you are standing here right now. Um, and so I always teach about being present in the moment and moving forward in terms of, um, you know, shifts in their, in their thinking process. Um, right. And so that, that I think is absolutely key to have a very gentle, uh, kind approach to yourself. Never, never, you know, beat yourself up for, for things that have been done in the past. Never uh, allow that. You know, there's a difference between uh, assuming and accepting responsibility versus, um, uh, you know, thinking that you, 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 you've messed up your life or that you've been now a victim of, of your, you know, and, and there's no recovery from that. You know, there's, you know, at any moment in time that there's an awakening, there's a, a opportunity for change is, is my belief. Um, but the, the other way that I want to sort of, you know, go in terms of answering your question, um, particularly as a physician, particularly as a cardiologist, um, I walk a very tight rope between having patients present with the symptoms and, and having them recognize that, 
yes, there can be a very physical cause to symptoms and that they need to have appropriate level of, of concern and appropriate level of, of um, action in terms of seeking care from their physicians versus being able to really teach them also that their mind is so powerful and that what they focus on uh, becomes a reality. And so I find that I'm always walking a little bit of this tight rope between telling them to not put the focus on their, you know, on their symptoms and not, you know, you know, over-dramatize or manifest more of the things that they do not want to happen, such as high blood pressure or chest pain or coronary disease, versus not, you know, uh, having them truly understand that concept versus um, um, becoming nonchalant and, and ignoring symptoms that might otherwise be serious. You know, they talk, uh, Dr. Cynthia, a lot about the kind of depression that uh, that people go through when um, they have cardiac disease, especially mm-hmm. when they have an intervention like open heart, and that's yeah. that's supposed to be, you know, here here's our number one concern following, you know. Uh, the the surgery and and com, proper you know uh, physical convalescence. Uh, how many people have you dealt with who actually you know? I, I mean, I guess this is where I'm going. This is kind of a selfish question. I know that to some degree, fear and anxiety are components of depression, and fear can give rise to anger. And I'm not normally an angry person, but you know, when I came out of the open heart. There were two things that were very clear to me. The first one was all I had to do was see anything, a a movie where there was a hero or a movie where there was a sad ending or a movie where there was blossoming love or and tears would just flow through my eyes. And that seems to be widely reported on the Internet, although the anesthesiologists, you know, they, they basically are avoiding that subject. The other one was... I was angry. I was angry that I was in that in that situation. Do you find that to be common with your patients? Yes, yes. And there have been studies done that shows that outcomes are affected significantly by uh, the person's uh, mental attitude as they um, go through this this you know obviously traumatic medical. Uh, condition, whether it's an intervention, but more we see it after a heart attack or bypass surgery, and and so there's that is 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 almost like the same as a as a grieving process where you know people go through those the, the various stages, and one of them is 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 you know anger and hostility is why me you know why does it happen um, you know that feeling of hopelessness, and and then when you transition out of it to to really acceptance. Um, that that we find that people um, start that process of healing, and and so people who are depressed either because they have um, they don't have the appropriate social support, uh, maybe people who have lost a loved one uh, and are alone, they will typically tend to um, have a harder time in terms of the the mental acceptance and having more anger and depression, and will have a worse outcome than someone who maybe has um, a, a very positive outlook to begin with um, and, and has, um, you know, gratitude uh, as a, a key component of, of their healing process. Um, like you said for yourself, that uh, gratitude had a, a new meaning uh, for, for you. And so 
uh, with my patients, I work a lot with um, helping them to reframe their perception and and to help move them through to through these um, stages to the to the acceptance of acceptance of of where I am right now. Yes, I had coronary disease. Yes, I had a heart attack. Yes, I had bypass surgery. Yes, the, my actions in the past might have played a role, but that's behind me. And now, you know, we start with this moment, this moment of being mindful and present, this moment, and what can I do going forward? So it's always about uh, raising them to a level of awareness, getting them to um, to a point of acceptance, getting them also to a point of, of forgiveness, because a lot of times um, that anger, um, as you might have found for yourself, is not only directed outwardly, but also uh, inwardly as to, you know, what what should I have done? Um, you know, why did I bring this about? And um, and still being able to forgive yourself for any action that you might have had in the past that that led to this and and moving forward um, is is really key. And and absolutely, uh, we know that uh, the depression uh, along with the uh, bypass surgery will then affect how someone. Um, take forward action. So, in terms of, uh, do they go forward and, and start eating, you know, well and changing their their lifestyle and their diet, uh, start exercising and 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 making all the proactive uh, changes versus someone that, um, you know, again, uh, is inclined to, you know, blame genetics or blame, you know, the family or whatever else, and and stay stuck in that that um, inaction mode. Stay stuck, yeah. Okay, you know, you, obviously you paid very close attention to the spotlight and the setup piece. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take us there for a minute. Again, being selfish, there are some very real issues that our world faces today, Doctor Cynthia. Some of us do our best to both stay informed and to be activists in in some way, hopefully improving matters for as many as we can. In our spotlight, we discuss the food supply, just by way of example. So there's some ten giant corporations that control the world's food. We have a new onslaught of GMO concerns added to the crazy list of additives that can be found in the food, and for that matter, sometimes in our water. So here's a two-part question. First, do you think we should be concerned about matters such as these? And then second... How do we sort of love them away? I mean, how do we remain in that peaceful, non-concerned, unattached place that you speak of, that I know I want to be in, but at the same time work to change a broken system? Yes, I will address the second question first of 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 you know being being open and. Um, Worry free and allowing and accepting is is different. It's, it's a subtle difference, but it's different from not taking action or not being proactive or not being aware. And so I I am not one to uh, why I I want to encourage you know listeners to not get overly stressed over things that they have no control over and cannot change. I do think that they need to be very aware and be proactive in terms of things that they can, they have absolute power over and can change. And and absolutely, I mean, in terms of the genetically modified organism, yeah, I think it is, you know, just unbelievable what, 
you know, you know, big industry, um, you know, the the big money uh, is able to do um, in terms of um, really modifying our food supply, and and they'll coach it with, um, you know, you know, starvation, and we need to to mass produce these, you know, these foods so we can feed the world. But um, in the process of doing so, is is really um, I you know, think there's a big financial uh, component to it, but it's really polluting our, our environment and our, our our world and our food sources. And so, you know, it, it is. It's getting to the point where it, it it is sort of scary to to know what what is out there and to to have choices and to to know what you can and cannot have. Um, but but I think that because of of leaders such as yourself and activists. Um, who are out there um, speaking to this? Um, I think there there are more options available. Um, obviously, I always encourage my my patients to and my listeners, my readers to to support local um, uh, farms, um, to to go to farmer markets and so forth, to buy organic whenever it is possible, to really look at labels, to look at non GMO products. I mean, as an example, just so that your listeners really understand what um, this genetically modified um, uh, organisms have the potential of doing, not just in terms of the, all the horrific things that you mentioned uh, in the list of additives and foods that can go in there, but, but like, for example, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they would modify uh, uh, corn uh, genetically to, to put um, uh, a gene of uh, a salmon into that so that they can uh, better withstand the environment and the coal, right? And so now someone who's eating corn um, who might be allergic to fish now have, you know, have been introduced to a component of the fish right. that you wouldn't even imagine was, was in corn, and now they develop the corn allergy and, and so forth and so on. And, and so much of our, our body, when we talk about the various disease states that concur, has to do with acidity in our, envir- in, in our body, has to do with... Um, uh, the development of free radicals and so forth, and all these food toxins that we really are putting into our body is having all sorts of mechanistic changes within our body that really does impact us on a cellular level in terms of our health. You know, I, I'm, I'm a great teacher or believer, and I, I think I'm a, a reasonable teacher. I'm a great believer and a reasonable teacher. <laughs> How's that? In something we th- we call today mindfulness. Now, your copy boldly incorporates and states flatly that you're a practicing Buddhist. Uh, You know, for some people, they may not understand how that could be relevant to your practice of medicine, but based on the conversation that we're just having, it seems to me that um, this whole idea of attachment and non-attachment, present in the all of that, comes to bear from your Buddhist background. Would would that be a fair statement? Flesh I, that out for I, us. Yes, I absolutely believe it is. Um, you know, I I was raised in that manner, and so that is a part of my being. And and when I highlighted for you earlier um, how becoming westernized and losing that aspect of, of, of who I am as a being, um impacted how I showed up um, in this world and how I showed up in service. And, and, and I am by far a much better physician now that I allow that authentic nature 
of myself to come through. And as far as how, you know, in terms of Buddhism uh, as, a, as a religion or a faith versus just a way of being, okay? And so for me, I, I share my Buddhist um, uh, and my spiritual aspect not as a religion, but as a way of being, as a way of showing up in the world, of being present, of being mindful. And there's, there's umpteen research um, uh, from John Kabat-Zinn onward of, of how mindfulness, um, it's, I'm going to have so you hold powerful. it right there, Dr. Zyke. I'm going to have you hold it right there because the computer's going to boot us out. We have a hard break coming up. When we come back, though, please continue to flesh that out. If you would like to know more about Dr. Cynthia Zyke and her encouraging book, Your Vibrant Heart, visit her website, drcynthia.com, or check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. All right, we have a film featuring Dr. Cynthia for you during the break. You can watch it in our chat room. So if you're not already there, now's the time to get over there. We'll be right back. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Dr. Cynthia Thike about her work and informed book, Your Vibrant Heart. Remember to visit her website, drcynthia.com. Now, we just played your second musical choice, Dr. Cynthia Brave by Sarah Borales. So please tell us, why is this music meaningful to you? You know, my, my daughter has been playing that music, and, and I started listening to it, and, you know, the words had an impact on me because um, 
as a child, and even now, um, I was very shy. And as you imagine, I came over from Burma when I was seven, and so I never felt like I fit in. And 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 to to come out of my shell, to be you know in the position that I am now. Um, and I, what I always encourage my children too is to to allow yourself and to trust yourself that you're important and you have something to say, that How you wonderful. matter, and, and and that's what those words speak to me. How wonderful! Before the break, I you know I unfortunately had to cut you off uh, so the computer didn't boot us out, but you were fleshing out an idea that, I mean, I really like the way you said it. Um, Buddhism for you, uh, the way you share it with your, you know, with everyone, is a way of life, not a religion per se. Do you want to pick it up and finish that? I didn't, you know, I yeah. didn't get a chance, and I'd like you to. And and I actually, I was, um, I always feel like the universe puts the... <laughs> delivers in the right spot. So I'm actually glad we had a break because it allowed me to look up something. And this is what I wanted to read to you, okay? Okay, please. The heart of the Buddha is the birthright of every human being. When we look into the heart in its purest sense, the Buddha says the mind or the heart in its original nature is illuminous and brightly shining, but it gets entangled in fear and contraction in a small sense of self and loses this understanding of its original ease and purity and openness. Through the cultivation of awareness and compassion, and the letting go of entanglement, fear, confusion, and greed, one can access the openness of the heart, and the small sense of self will drop away. Now in the teaching of the Buddha, this natural state of the heart or mind is found in four wonderful qualities called the divine abode. These divine qualities are including loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And and that just really states what I'm all about and what my message is all about, that, you know, truly, um, we have this amazing heart. We have this wonderful, brightly shining, luminous heart. That's how we were placed on this earth. That is our birthright. And through you know, various circumstances and whatever it might be, and, and I certainly experienced it for myself, we, we lose that. We lose touch with that innate nature of ourselves. But it is so um, possible, not only is possible, is is, is probable uh, to, to be able to bring that back. And, and that's really what I want to, uh, you know, inspire my patients, my readers, your listeners, um, to, to, to realize that it is in them. It is there, and it doesn't need to allow it to express itself. And, and those those qualities, you know, the, the bows of loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, those are what I talk about in my book of, of how you you allow those feeling states, those those states of being, to come in and play into your life. And when you are able to do that, all aspects of your life, um, you know, be it your health, your relationship. Uh, your your work, uh, how you show up in this world in service, it, you know everything is aligned, and um, it's such a beautiful way of being, and and that's what you know my Buddhist faith does for me. I'm glad you read that. I mean, you know, and, and, and you know, metaphors are really important, and and I think, I think we lose sight of that. You know, um, 
People talk about someone that has a big heart, that's really loving and sharing and caring. Or, you know, uh, we talk about the heart when we think of emotion. We speak of the heart when we think of romance. Uh, And, of course, obviously, you know, the way you just address, you know, as a behavioral scientist, I know that if we, just by way of example, if we introduce you to a stranger, uh, who's holding a warm cup of coffee, you will think of them as warm, contrasted to somebody holding a cup of iced coffee who you will think of as cold. In, in other words, we transfer these metaphors across how we interpret our world. Why do you think it is that we somehow have have clouded the idea of heart as being the center of our being, uh, the, the the real power, and 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 have put so much emphasis on the cognitive aspect of things. Yeah, I, I think that the more that we can allow a gentle being, and the more that we can connect with our heart center, um, and and really live um, and show up as as one would want to show up as a human being. Um, I, I think that that's where the magic begins. Um, you know, there's, there's more and more research, like you said, you know, being a, a neuroscientist and everything, you know, heart math is doing a phenomenal job of, of really teaching us that um, there's great connectivity with our heart, neural connectivity. And so when people want to think that all the power exists in the, in the, in the, the brain, um, the, I think of the brain and the mind as, as, as two separate entities, and it's really the mind. But to me, the mind exists in our heart. We we think with our heart. We 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 feel with our heart. We act with our heart. You know, being heart center. Um, you know, being you know, lion hearted. And and all these metaphors, um, they they do express for us uh, a, a way of of of, of sensing um, who a person is and a way of being. And I think that the more that uh, we can connect with that heart's intuition and allow ourselves to. Um, expressed from a from an inner space uh, where there's just a you don't have to cognitively think. I think that too many people are stuck in the in the cognitive um, world, uh, which truthfully, you know, in terms of our brain power, is only a small percentage of our our brain power. And if we can get into that space of allowing our our subconscious um, to to act and talk and speak through us, and and I think that's where things like you know meditative practices. And, and yoga and, and being mindful and having mindful practices allow us to connect with spirit and source um, from which all things happen and all things come. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that I experienced myself and I have taught, you know, um, other, um, you know, fellow uh, patients, I suppose that's the way to put it, who've undergone uh, similar surgery, something I've shared with them is, you know, I would touch my heart and, and love it, you know. I, I mean, like you would touch your child. Now, obviously, I wasn't actually touching my heart. I'm touching my chest. But um, I found that just that, you know, loving your own heart uh, is something that seems strange to many people. And yet, psychological or whatnot, it, it was wondrous for me. But on that subject, you mentioned heart math. Um, you know, I used uh, HeartMath uh, hardware, software, mm-hmm. to monitor my recovery. 
And, uh, and of course, you know, it's really looking at coherence, heart coherence. And, um, you know, what I would do sometimes is I use, I've got all kinds of, you know, you can imagine mad scientists lab full of all kinds of things that you can plug yourself into from the top of your head to the bottom of your toe. And so as I was monitoring myself, what I, what I found that I would do is I'd read or uh, I would meditate, um, I would concentrate on breathing, and then one day I played a game that my boys and I play called Civilization. Now, this is Sid Meier game, and it's all about building you know, an empire, and you're way back in the Dark Ages, and, and you're raising a civilization. There are other civilizations. A computer generates them. You know, at some point in the game, you're going to get attacked, so you need to build a military. There's a shortage of resources and so forth. And what I found, Dr. Cynthia, is it was not possible for me to play that game which is a very competitive game, at least you know, it's like a chess game, strategic game, not possible to maintain coherence while I played that game. Mm-hmm. Comments on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think competition uh, knocks out coherence? Yes, 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 I do. I, I think that um, anytime we allow our, 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 our minds and really our hearts uh, to to get to the uh, the the lower vibrational state, uh, I think that knocks out coherence. And so, um, as HeartMath teaches, you know, when you come from a place of love and joy and gratitude and appreciation, those are all high level, high energy vibrations. And if you put yourself instead into competition or or fear or you know, and 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 you know and, and I'll point out that there's a difference between competition with self, you know, self-motivation, um, self-advancement versus the the competition that most of us engage in, which is, you know, against uh, someone else and, and our success is dependent on someone else's uh, failure. Um, is, is, you know, but what that speaks to you, Alden, is that uh, uh, that that wasn't aligned with you, Right. And so it would be interesting, right? It would be interesting to see if if someone who um, was more aligned with that competitive nature, what that would do to their coherence. But but what that tells me is that for you, that wasn't part of your inner innate inner nature. Well, I think it's the aggressive con, you know, aspect of the competition. Yeah. Because I've always thought of myself enjoying competition. But on the other hand, you know, going back to what we mentioned earlier, you know, there are inequities in the world. And there have been some really great people that, to me, are, are icons like Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Mahatma Gandhi, and I, and I could go on, but you get the picture. Mm-hmm. When one examines their lives, we find anything but the recommended modern diets, peaceful, quiet lives, and so forth. And how do you think they manage uh, maintaining, uh, you know, health while they live the kinds of lives that they did? I, I think Deepak Chopra said it best. Um, I, I read this somewhere where a reporter had asked him the exact same question of, of you know, you're, you're doing a hundred different things. You know, how do you how do you keep that up? Mm-hmm. And and he said, you know, my my body is busy, but my mind is at peace. And, and I think that's really the trick um, that uh, depending on on 
state that you, you present yourself, how you show up, and how you hold your energy. Uh, that it makes all the difference in the world. And we, we all know of people who are, are super busy accomplishing unbelievable um, acts of, 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 and when you look at them, they're all in acts of service, and acts of generosity. Um, and they're making, you know, quantum leaps in, in, in their, you know, efforts and their accomplishments. And, and we see others who are, are, you know, on, on the opposite, you know, end of the spectrum are, you know, really uh, achieving very little and, and, and are doing very little, but yet, uh, you know, feel the weight of the, the world on their shoulder. And, and so I, I do think that the key is in, um, how you're holding your mind and, think, and how you're showing up in service. Yeah, how you're showing up. I think you said another key a couple of times now, and that's the word service. And we, we know that the reward center in the brain, to use PET or MRI technology, lights up, you know. It, mm-hmm. when, when you do something as simple as write a check to a charity that you, you care about, we know that that reward center bathes the body with all those good feeling neurochemicals, mm-hmm. you know. So we get our own natural opiates, and and I think you know, it, it is it, it's got to be you know something to do with the service, like you say. I like the way you put it, the way we show up. Why do you think then there are so many people that wait until there's some emergency before they tend to their health? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hear kids today. They, you know, they'll say things like, "I'm young, I can afford the extra sugar, or the cholesterol." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I, and what is it that causes us to to push ourselves to a point where we we have a, a collapse or a near tragedy before we really begin to tend to our health? Yeah, I, I think it all stems from a lack of awareness. Um, you know, we. We're going a million miles a minute, um, all, and I have to say, for the most part, a lot of us are engaging in, in you know, actions and thoughts that are, are I don't want to say meaningless, but um, it's just not, um, you know, life life giving, life serving, um, and and I read somewhere that you know we have sixty thousand thoughts going on in our mind. You know, in a, in a given day, and most of it's unconscious thought, just you know, just rambling. And so, um, I think that when people don't um, uh, take care of themselves or take care of the body until there's some uh, event that forces them to wake up, it, it forces them into that level of awareness that that uh, um, gets them to be present in that moment and, and have that realization. And so, the work that you know, you do the work that I do, the work that a lot of these uh, 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 personal development and self-empowerment uh, gurus are doing is really rent, trying to raise people to a, a level of awareness. And what I say to patients with respect to their health is that their body is this amazing temple that is really there to house their mind, their heart, and their spirit. And when you think of it in that manner, and when you think of uh, you know, I always challenge my patients to, to say, when was the last time you gave your body and your mind a true vacation? Now, we go on vacation all the time, once a year, but during that time that we're away in Hawaii or, or in Paris, as I was just in, 
um, our bodies are working even harder, you know, double, triple overtime, dealing with all the crepe and all the you know, alcohol, whatever it might be that we're, we're doing while we're taking our vacation. And so I, I remind my patients, think of it in that manner, that your body is this amazing temple. You, you, you're born into it, and you have to care for it. And, and do take the time to think about things like detoxing, detoxing your, your body, uh, from the physical toxin, from the environmental toxin, from the food toxin, and detoxing your mind from all the negative talk, all the limiting beliefs, all the self-talk, and and really allow yourself to be still and then to really consciously, on a very conscious, being on a very mindful and present level, look, how can I, what can I do in this moment to take care of myself? Okay, you heard the setup piece. I, I talked about detox a little bit. We used to flush radiators on the old muscle cars, maybe once every year, you know, get out the antifreeze, etc. Um, tell me about detoxing the body and then detoxing the mind. Just exactly what do you mean when you say detox the body and mind? Right. So first I want to uh, sort of that uh, word of warning. Um, I think that detox is coming into the forefront, and you hear a lot of detox now. It's become very popular in the mainstream. But then I look at the programs, and and so many of these programs for detoxification are trying to sell hundreds of dollars worth of supplements, you know, a liver detox, a spleen detox, and this and that. And I think to myself, how can we be detoxing our body when we're we're pouring more toxins and more man-made manufactured products into your body? So I definitely caution people regarding those type of detox programs. Then we have the detox program that's just sort of the basically the GI cleanse where you're spending you know, two days on the in the bathroom, and that's just a you know that's just a cleaning your gut out, but that's not really a truly internal detoxification. And then there's those um, you know lemonade, uh, lemon, cayenne pepper, and, and and those type of detoxification, which you know serves its purpose in terms of a fast, but it doesn't give the support in terms of what you need to do after that fast. And so to me, there is only that the most amazing detoxification machinery that we have is our own body, you know, our, our liver, our spleen, our lymphatics, our, our colon, our, our, our skin. Mm-hmm. And we just need to get out of the way. We just need to let the, you know, the, the, our body do its work. And so uh, a good detox program and, and one that we offer is, is basically to know all the things that are potential highly allergenic uh, things. And that includes a lot of the, the GMO stuff, you know, things that are, are you know, corn, soy, uh, gluten, dairy, animal meat, you know, the, the unhealthy fats, right. and alcohol, caffeine. And then, and then we need to, from the get-go, support our body with, you know, healthy fats, seeds, nuts, um, you know, lots of greens, uh, things that will shift our body into an alkaline state. And so a lot about medicine now is about inflammation and inflammatory process and, and acid-base balance. And the majority of the diseases that exist, be it heart disease, cancer, diabetes, um, are, you know, arthritis, asthma, you name it, exist in an acidic environment. I mean, cancer cells cannot survive in an alkaline environment. And so uh, once you n- understand that basic concept, and if you, you know, you, they can go onto my website and look also for acid-base uh, food um, or you can just Google that, but, um, you know, start shifting your diet into a more alkaline state, and that will have a huge impact. 
uh, along with the physical detox, I always encourage my patients to, you know, try and go green with the environment. So look at all the, the household products and the chemicals and the compounds that you have because those also make make have an impact, including the sunlight. I mean, sunlight is great, but too much sunlight actually causes a lot of free radical damage within our, our body, and so you want to be mindful about that. Get plenty of sleep, drink, you know, plenty of water, alkaline water. And then, then there's, a, there's the mental component. So to me, a mental detox is really um, recognizing uh, what fear, stress, anxiety are um, and, and learning how to shift from your limiting beliefs, negative self-talk into a, you know, love and gratitude, appreciation and forgiveness. And, and so we have a program to, to do that. But again, there's plenty of programs out there. And so uh, it, it sort of starts with, uh, you know, raising yourself to a level of awareness. And realize, and with awareness comes choice, and with choice comes change. Well, hopefully we make the right choice and then we make <laughs> yes. the right change, you know. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry, unfortunately, the research doesn't support that we make the right choice most of the yeah. time. We tend to yeah. think we're a lot smarter than we really are. And, and we have this, you know, psychological law of self-exemption. It's always the other guy that is going to, you know, that's going to get the disease or that's going to have the problem or, and it's, you know, not me kind of thing. All right, we have a break coming up, uh, Dr. Cynthia. So uh, your website is drcynthia.com. That's where you have all this information uh, on ac- acidity and so forth. Is that correct? Yes, yes, okay. absolutely. And um, uh, they can go onto the website now, but in, uh, I invite them to also come back in about a week because we're going to be launching a, a new website that just has a much cleaner look to it. All right, real good. We hope you're enjoying our show today. Be sure to check out Dr. Cynthia's website at drcynthia.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after paying a few bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Eldon's international best-selling book, Mind Programming, is a must-read if you wish to live awake in a world of sheeples. Film producer Jeff Warwick had this to say about mind programming. Dr. Eldon Taylor's new book is a must-read. If you've ever questioned your purpose in life or felt bound by a culture that's driven by mass media, you now have at your fingertips the knowledge and tools to break the chains of this cycle. Eldon goes in-depth to illustrate and expose how we've been programmed from birth by social constraints, and he methodically reveals the psychological techniques that advertisers, politicians, corporations, and the media use to control us. He then provides strategies and solutions to free your mind from these tactics and rise to a new level of consciousness. As you read this book, you'll feel the blinders being removed and will truly see the world in an entirely new light. Get your copy today online or at fine bookstores everywhere. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Dr. Cynthia Thite about her delightful new book, Your Vibrant Heart. You're going to want to go get this book. You want to read this book. Uh, you know, and I don't care if you're um, 14, 15, 16 years old. I'm going to see that both my boys get a copy of this book because, you know, your health begins when you begin to take care of it, when you begin to take responsibility for it. And this is the book is packed with information for a better lifestyle. You don't have to have a failing heart. You don't have to be old and over the hill to want to read this book. We'll take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions of our guests, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Now, we just played Rise by the McLean Sisters. I love that segment of our show where we get guests, music, Ravinder, you know, because I'm forever discovering music that I love that I didn't know was out there. I didn't know this one was out there. I love the lyrics. I love this song. So, Dr. Cynthia, what's the story with this one? I had to laugh because you you know I have young children, <laughs> right? And that's why these lyrics and these songs you might not be so familiar with. But the again, the lyrics are what really speaks to me. You know, with the strength of a thousand men, together we can rise. And it, it really speaks to the fact that we are not alone, and and there is this oneness and unity that exists in our universe, and and we. We always have to reach out and and ask, you know, to, to number one recognize that, recognize that the support and the love is all around us, and and then have the strength to rise up and ask for that help, and, and that's what these words mean to me. Uh, I, I love the song. I love the lyrics. It gets added to my driving music. That's all there is to it. All right. You suggest that a healthy heart is key to all wellness. Now, I think it may surprise a lot of people. It surprised me, but, you know, if you have a problem with uh, tooth decay, that could be impacting your heart. There are many aspects of the system that tie directly to the heart, affecting it in positive and negative ways. So please unpack this idea 
that health begins with a healthy heart. Mm-hmm. And, and on many different levels. And so a lot of times people, again, we talked earlier about mechanistically, people want to think of their heart as just as this organ that circulates blood. And right. yes, absolutely, that is its function, but it does so much more than that. I mean, when you, on, on a spiritual sense, you know, it's, it's the most vital organ in our body. Its, it's, it's function is necessary to sustain life. And, and, and oftentimes what I find is that a healthy heart, like you said, is often taken for granted until um, it's too late. And, and clearly we know that heart disease is the leader, leading cause of death among men and women. Um, and, and, and really it's the leading cause despite the fact that we can so easily um, manage it, control it, and, and, and take the action to, to prevent heart disease. But going beyond just a physically healthy heart, um, I very much believe that uh, people need to be mindful of uh, their emotional heart and their physical, you know, their spiritual heart, um, and and that's really the the key again that that sort of encompassing whole whole life approach of health and 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 really if you know it, it starts for me with with the with the heart and, and and with being you know coherent and allowing uh the rest of our body to 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 follow the lead of the heart and and I, and I think that if you're not in that space of of having emotional healthy heart uh of in, in a space of having laughter and joy and love and, and gratitude in your life again it doesn't matter how much you're exercising and how well you're 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 eating greens and so forth if other aspects of your your heart, the, the the intangible, the metaphysical aspects of your heart, is not intact, then then you're not going to have a, a healthy heart. You know, I, I, for what it's worth, uh, I one of the things that I did in my own convalescence was made sure I laughed every day. So you know, we had I remember Norman Cousins' Anatomy of an Illness. Uh, book, a story of how he healed cancer with, you know, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello and so forth. Well, I saw every day at least an hour's worth of some, some comedy that would bring laughter to me. That was a part of my process. You know, and I wasn't maybe, I think I was six months on the other side of it and, um, I had one of those uh, nuclear stress tests. No, it was a one-year. It was a one-year mark. I had the nuclear stress test, and they told me my heart was as strong as a 35-year-old. They had me on there for forever, trying to get it up to the, you know, the speed that they want or the or the heart rate that they want. I think the laughter should be a part of our everyday. Just when we say, you know, try and meditate, uh, do something that brings laughter. Do something that brings awe. Isn't that what you mean by the spiritual component? Uh, recognizing just the glorious nature, the gift of life, the gift uh, that you are. Is that what you mean by that? Absolutely. You know, I have a chapter in my book where I talk about laughter and music and dance. And and I'll tell you that that commitment that you made to yourself to bring joy into your life probably was just as important as the nutrition that you were, you know, the you know the change in your nutrition or the fitness that you were doing, I think it's just as important, if not more important, in the healing process. Yeah, well, I mean, they say you know, feed the body, feed the mind, and feed the soul, and, and in very many ways, I metaphorically again going to that. To me, the heart 
it represents a lot of what we think of when we think of soul or spirit. Mm-hmm. Your book is packed, and we don't have time to go through all of it, but it's packed with a lot of just good advice on how to live healthy, how to how to be well in every sense. And we, we've touched a little bit on the dietary end of things. So let me just ask you a, a couple of quickies, if we can. Uh, there's a lot of people today that talk about superfoods. What are your What are your thoughts on superfoods? Is there any such thing? I, I do think that there are foods that um, uh, provide uh, a great deal of antioxidants and and are packed full of uh, nutrition and, and and fitness. But but again, you know, one doesn't need to go into the Amazons to to find these superfoods. I mean, they they do exist within our our in our local grocery store and our whole food store. So starting with just greens, to me, I put greens as, as one of the most powerful superfood. Uh, for people who like chocolate, raw cacao powder is, is a great superfood. Spirulina is something that a lot of your listeners might not be aware of, but that's a blue-green algae. And uh, super, uh, spirulina is really, I think, you know, God's perfect food. It has all... Uh, all the the vital nutrients and minerals and iron and protein that one could you know possibly want, and so those are things that one can easily add into your into the routine of of our our daily you know nutritional intake that will make a, a huge tremendous impact on them. Now a lot of that's on your website again, is it not? Yes, it is, and it's also listed in my book. Yeah, it, there's, the book is packed, and, I, and again, I'm going to suggest everybody get a copy of it. But how about supplements? We hear a lot about supplements, and again, the information seems to cut both ways. On one hand, we hear the importance for such things as CoQ10, and on another, we hear that these supplements are simply not properly metabolized by our systems. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my my thoughts really are, again, stop looking for the quick, easy fix. Don't look for man-made, manufactured vitamins and minerals to support your body. Go to you know, the, the, the most wondrous producer that we have, which is Mother Earth, and get our, our vitamins and nutrients from Mother Earth and, and get it from Whole Food. Um, I do think that there are some supplements that are of, of value and key that people need to be thinking about. The fish oils with omega-3 as a healthy form of fat is very important for cardiovascular health. Uh, I think more and more we're finding that vitamin people are deficient in vitamin D, and vitamin D plays such an important role in many of the, the biochemical processes, and so it's important for people to think about having vitamin D. CoQ10, I also, um, particularly for patients who are have high cholesterol who maybe are on statins, I think it's a very important supplement to, to have along with the with the the statins if one, you know, chose to go along that route. But, you know, beyond uh, a a limited few, I think that, you know, why my book talks about the various vitamins and so forth, the minerals that are important for our body. Again, I'm going to encourage everyone to go to, to Mother Earth and nature to do that as much as possible. All right. Now, this is provocative enlightenment, so no guest comes on without getting asked a hardball question. Uh, and I've got one for you. <laughs> Dr. Norman Sheely says he would not take a statin drug for a million dollars. For some time following my own surgery, Dr. Cynthia, they had me on 80 milligrams of Lipitor. Yes. When I complained about cognitive difficulties, particularly memory, 
they brushed it off as being all in my head. Well, they were right. It was all in my head. The data shows clearly today that Lipitor is a memory thief and it has other cognitive side effects. And so do most other statins. So your cardiologist is going to put you on a statin. I've taken myself off. What say you regarding statin drugs and this whole issue of cholesterol? Yes. And so what the answer I'm going to give you is, uh, again, draws on my Buddhist faith of being centered and balanced. And so I think that uh, there's a role for, for both arguments. One, I'm going to educate your listener that cholesterol has to do with inflammation. And, and cholesterol has gotten the bad buzz. And so for the most part, we know now that cholesterol is this innocent bystander, that it gets increased and produced by the liver when there's a lot of inflammation in the body. And the cholesterol, if anything, is going and acting as a healing agent, sort of like a Band-Aid, if you will, within the blood cells. And so when acidity or sheer stress on the high blood pressure or uh, changes, metabolic changes that occur with high, high blood sugar, uh, with insulin and, and um, diabetes occur, then the cholesterol needs to go and plaster itself along that blood vessel. Or if you're overweight and obese, then the cholesterol is going to be elevated. And so when I see a patient, the first thing that I want to try and get them to commit to is, number one, recognizing or looking at and exploring what are the areas of inflammation that's occurring in the body. And, and then address that from a dietary standpoint as much as possible. Um, and so absolutely, bar none, that would be the, the optimal and desired way to go. However, as you know, uh, not everyone makes the right choice. And there are plenty of patients where you can have this you know, discussion and they will still continue to eat the burgers and fries and, and the unhealthy fat and stay where they are and have plenty of inflammation in their body. And if that's going to be the case, then we do have good evidence that statins can make an impact in terms of lowering mortality and morbidity with respect to cardiovascular disease. But the, the way and the mechanism in which statins are actually being effective is probably through its anti-inflammatory route rather than to lowering of the cholesterol. So I worry less about the cholesterol number and look more at inflammation, uh, what the person is doing to introduce inflammation into their, their, their bodies, including stress and cortisol, which will lead to inflammation, and try and correct the inflammatory process as much as possible. And use that as a last resort in someone who clearly just will not take any actions in the right direction. Cool, I like that. That's that's you know, and and then, to me that makes sense. Let me ask you this: Why is there always a correlation between heart disease and blood sugar? I mean, I don't know a single person who has been through coronary care who has not all of a sudden been suspect for blood sugar levels. Yeah, so we we worry about diabetes, okay, but and. You know, there's 7 million people who have diabetes, but there's like 40 million who are pre-diabetic. And it's really the pre-diabetic and developing syndrome X or insulin resistance that leads to increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And, And you're absolutely right that mechanistically we know those things are very closely tied. Uh, 
uh, the same way that stress and cortisol are also part of the picture. So increased cortisol, uh, decrease uh, uh, the the decrease in the uh, in the glucagon, increase in insulin, insulin resistance uh, plays a, a a factor in making the cells not being able to process the blood sugar in an adequate manner, affecting insulin, affecting the brain, body biochemistry that makes people want to uh, overeat and not have the satiety point, um, you know, insulin affecting vascular reactivity and tone tying into high cholesterol and into high blood pressure. And so those are the major risk factors that all we, we see constantly uh, tied together, metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, uh, high cholesterol, the low HDL, obesity, which we haven't even touched on, but that's such a, an epidemic now that uh, is really pervading through our, our, our society, and particularly our young, young people uh, that we really need to wake up and take notice of. Right. So, no, no question about that. We, I mean, of course, we may as well touch on that real quick. Like, I've got another twenty questions to ask you, and we have about five minutes. So, I guess I'm not going to get them all in. But since you brought that up, uh, you know, I, the blame seems to be going on either portion sizes and or the fast food world. I kind of see this as a process of education it isn't the the big gulps fault that it's full it's the individuals how do how do you think i mean first of all what is your take on that and then how do you think we do educate people about the importance of uh you know maintaining some trim weight yeah again you know i come from a point of being balanced and centered um, while I would love to encourage all my patients to just go plant-based, I don't think that there's a that that is based in reality for a good percentage of our population. And so, for me, um, educating them, and, and and also when when you take that type of hardline approach, I think it scares people. It makes the task daunting, and it, it puts them stuck in inaction. And so what I offer up instead is a gentle approach of trying to get, you know, to to the right of wherever they're at. And so introducing just one or two vegetables into your 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 diet, uh, recognizing that the the you know, if you can go as much nature as possible. So anytime you think to put a food into your mouth, you know, think of the process that has gone through, you know, where what has what has occurred along the way of his journey to put it in front of you today. And if it's, you know, really over-processed, then try and avoid that. Try and go to, you know, earth and mother nature. And I think that if people stay, you know, again, mindful to every action as the time that they take it and and also allow themselves a gentleness about it. So, you know, if if you go once a week to McDonald's, it isn't the end of the world. It's what you're doing the rest of the time that that matters. Being fully aware, I you know I can't. Uh, you cannot tell people that too much. I cannot tell myself that too much. Uh, I'm very aware that I should at every moment be thinking about what it is that I'm doing, and I still get to automatic no matter what <laughs> through a good part of my day. Listen, last week. 
Our show was all about dreams. Now, your book suggests using lucid dreams. Please tell us how and why. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the dreaming process is, uh, I, I think they are the gateway to our soul. And, and the, you know, and some people are more easily able to tap into it through, through things like meditation. And, and others aren't. Um, and some people wake up uh, being fully aware and cognizant of their dream, and many of us do not. But uh, I think that, but but I think that that's a learned process. And so uh, most of us, you know, the, the the minute we're awake, our our mind is going into the conscious and going into what uh, what we need to do for the day and so forth, rather than allowing ourselves to just come out of a gentle dream and and be introspective and start thinking about well, where was my mind focusing on. And then you can also control or have some input into the type of dreams that you will have. And so I'm a big believer in in affirmations and and having a gratitude practice before you go to bed. And so you set, sort of set your intention and allow your dream then to go in a direction that will be more focused and more aligned with what your intentions are. Um, and, 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 I, and I know the science of dreaming is, is so, so vast, and I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in that, but, but I think that there's a lot to be learned from our, our dream and also how to use it in a, in a productive manner. So maybe a lucid dreaming class. All right, listen, we have... Uh about one minute. I want everybody to know how they can learn more about you. I wish we had time to go into your nonprofit, Revitalize You, but tell them how they can learn about that as well and where they can get your books, please. Great. Thank you so much. And so my my main website is drcynthia.com, and they can go on there, and then I have you know quite a bit of blogs on there on um, nutrition and fitness, but also on a lot of the mind, body, spirit stuff. Uh, my book, you can you know get the link from my website or go directly to Amazon and they can uh, pick up that. I I do have a nonprofit, Revitalize Youth, um, and that's youth dot org, um, and and there my mission is really about um, raising our youth to a level of awareness, empowering them to uh, really think about their their fitness uh, before it's too late, and and also to have a, a mindset. Uh, uh, that is empowering for them. And, and so I, I, I really enjoy being on your show, Eldon, and I'll be coming to the uh, I Can Do It event in Pasadena, and I know you're a speaker there, so I look forward to meeting you in person. Well, great. I look forward to that, too, and I appreciate you joining us today and all the information you shared, and I encourage everybody out there to... Uh, to check out drcynthia.com, D-R-Cynthia, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A.com. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, And remember, wherever you are in the world, until next time, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.